That's a quick, quick prayer, Josh. I'm like, still got to get my water ready. Got to get my, my lips all moist and ready. All the things I do when your heads are bowed, you know. Now the secrets are out. The curtains have been drawn back. When I was in college, um, I read through the New Testament several times over the course of, you know, four and a half years. Um, and uh, there was this phrase in Paul's letters that always just kind of just hit me and still does when I read it today. And you, you find it in several of his letters. And, and the phrase is this, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I Man, that's a challenge, isn't it? And when I hear that, even today, there's, there's kind of two thoughts that go through my mind. The first thought is, man, I really want to, to do that. I want to live a life worthy as, as an act of just gratitude for all that he's done for me. You know, there's this passion in me. And then, and then the second thought that I have is, man, I could never live a life worthy because I know the brokenness of, of myself. And so I'm caught in, in between these two things, this, this passion, right, to, to be devoted, and then this reality that I'm so flawed, right? And hopefully some of you guys can relate to that. Today I want to look at one of Paul's prayers that contains that phrase. We're going to look at, at the book of Colossians chapter 1. You can go ahead and open your Bibles there this morning. It's page 821. Page 821. And, and the, the town that this was written to was called Colossae. And Colossae, like Ephesus last week we talked about, were both in what is now modern-day Turkey. And Colossae was actually a place that Paul, it was a church that Paul didn't start. And he actually had never even been there. Um, it was started and planted by a guy that he converted in, in Ephesus named Epaphras. And Epaphras went and started this church in Colossae. And then later on, Paul is in prison in Rome, and Epaphras comes to visit him, and he says, hey, man, there's some stuff going on in Colossae that I need you to be aware of. And so Paul writes this letter to them to kind of help correct a few things that, that were kind of wrong about how they were seeing things. So specifically, there were a couple of types of heresy. Okay, heresy means like false teachings that Paul uh, is trying to address. And if you read the whole book of Colossians, you can kind of see all the different things. But I'll just sum it up with, into a couple of different topics. One topic was that the Colossians and a lot of other folks, um, they kind of thought that you, maybe you had to have some kind of special knowledge to really kind of understand Jesus and what he was talking about. And that maybe even like if you could talk to angels, like they could kind of let you in on some secrets that other people might not know. And the bottom line of this whole line of thinking is that, is that the message of Jesus wasn't enough. Like there had to be more than just that. And we can struggle with that as well, I think, this, this idea that we need more. Many of us have heard the message of Christ a lot. <laughs> Some of us have been following Christ for a long time. We hear it on the radio anytime we want. We can pick up and read our Bible and, and hear a sermon on the radio anytime. Um, so we've heard that message a lot, but if we're honest, we'd say that, that we not only need that message, but sometimes we need that message plus we need to know that, that, that we can have a safe and secure life or that our children are going to turn out okay or that our marriage and our job would be fulfilling. 
We have a lot in common with the Colossians. Sometimes we feel like there's got to be something more than just Jesus for us to be okay. So that was one issue that he's addressing. Secondly, um, especially amongst those that were the Jewish converts in Colossae, there was this, this sense or this, this tension that they felt um, with the Gentiles, the non-Jews that were coming to Christ. And they, they, so you got these Jews and these non-Jews, very different culturally, spiritually, now becoming one church. And these Jewish converts are like, hey, wait a minute, these guys should have to do all the things we have to do. You know, be circumcised and only eat certain foods and all these things that were a part of the Jewish religious tradition. And Paul's saying, man, you can't do that to these folks. This is a new thing. This is Christianity. And so there was this, these, this legalism and these laws that these Jewish converts wanted to pile on the Gentiles. And they're like, first of all, some dude's like 20 or 30. He's not going to be excited about being circumcised, right? Not, it's not a very good campaign for more Christians, right? So, but I think we see that in the church today, too, in, in parts of America, maybe not so much at Wellspring, but in a lot of churches, at least that I went to growing up, like I remember going to church and... and like feeling kind of out of place because I didn't, didn't dress right and didn't know the right times to get up and down and what to say at different times. And I felt just lost um, in that culture. There was a time in our country, may, I think it was maybe in the 90s, like if you didn't have a fish on your car, like you might as well just be pack your bags for hell because that's where you're going. So, you know, if you, if you, had, if you drove up and you parked next to somebody who was a Christian and they looked at your car and they're like, you're a Christian, right? Like, yeah. It's like, where's your fish? Well, I don't have a fish. And they'd be like, well, man, you're kind of rolling the dice, brother. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But, right? We come up with all these man-made things sometimes, and we weigh people down with stuff that's just not really essential to the gospel. And the implications that we speak to people is that if you don't act right, if you don't dress right, if you don't come across like you've got it together, um, then you might not be acceptable to God. And so we see Paul making a statement like this one. If you'll actually look ahead to chapter 2, verse 8, he says this. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So Paul is saying that Christ is sufficient, okay? Not Christ plus this or that or the other, So let's start in chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 3 through 8. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So Paul begins with this very encouraging tone. He's saying, man, we've heard some great things about you. We've heard you guys are spreading the gospel to people around you. We've heard about your faith, hope, and love. And, and it, man, it's so encouraging. Way to go, guys. All right? Let's look at verse 9. He says, for this reason. Okay? That's the exact phrase we heard last week, right? <clears throat> for this reason. Here's what he wants to pray for the church in Colossae. Verse 9. For this reason... 
Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And so if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we're doing this, this series here on Paul's prayers because I think sometimes we wonder what it is we're supposed to pray, right, when we pray for people. So we're trying to take a look at, well, what did, what did Paul pray and see what we can learn from that. So he says, we pray this, we pray this so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. We'll pray what? Let's look at verse 9 again. It says, we pray that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. That sounds really familiar again to last week because last week in Ephesians, uh, Paul prayed for the people in Ephesus that the Father would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they would know Christ better, right? So there's this pattern starting to develop now where, where Paul is praying that the, spirit, people would, would, um, that the spirit would lead them towards the truth, okay? That that's just the Spirit's role. When we tend to hear, live a life worthy of the Lord, we tend to hear, like, I need to do something to, to be worthy, that that's the filter a lot of times we go through and in kind of our human effort. So in our passion to please him, we, we go out and do all kinds of things. Sometimes people, um, they head to the Christian bookstore. You know, if that's your thing, like you want to read, you want to get new ideas, right? Or maybe you need experiences, so you sign up for this camp or you go to this conference, right, to, to experience something. Or, or you, you listen to your favorite pastor's that you download during the week, not named Bob. All your other boyfriends that I hear about. Oh, I heard this great sermon by Tim Keller. Uh-huh. You sign up for that next book study. You're like, oh, man, that, if I could just understand that more, you know, I'm going to be on my way, right? But Paul here is saying this, guys. It's not about what you do. You don't need more sources of information about God. You need God. (laughs) You need him. Go to him. (laughs) Only God can fill you with the knowledge of his will through the ministry of the Spirit. So why do we run to all of these things? Thinking that if we do this stuff that then we'll be worthy, that we'll live a worthy life. Instead of seeking God's face And trusting in his ability to be sufficient. Why do we do that? I'm asking you. Why do we run to these things to make us better Christians? It's what? It seems more tangible. Okay, then what? Okay, yeah, it seems more tangible than praying, okay? What else? Yeah. I guess that's because that's what people do. When you up here, you know all your knowledge about the Bible and stuff like that. I guess how I feel. I should too. Okay, yeah, sometimes we think, well, and really we've been kind of conditioned and patterned this way almost in school, like, right? The way you get smarter, well, you read more. You go to more school, you get more degrees. 
So there's this, this sense that there's kind of a connecting of the dots. Like the only way you can get more wise is to study more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can do it on your own. You don't need God. I can go and I can listen to this and I can read this and I can experience this. Good. We, I think one of the fallacies that we fall into, the traps, is that we want it to be easy. Like we want somebody else to do the hard work and boil it down for us into three easy steps. So, okay, then, so, yeah, you go and study it and then write a 100-page book that I can read to show me three easy ways to be a better husband or to whatever, pray better. We want it to be quick, and, and, and we have this sense that that sounds a whole lot easier than faithfully praying and seeking God. That sounds difficult. When we hear live a life worthy of the Lord, we often think about the things we need to do in order for that to be true. Okay? In Paul's letter to the Romans, he wrote this in chapter 12, verse 2. You can put that up there. He said this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, we want it to be easy, but the transforming of our mind is a lifelong process. And we talked about last week is that we have to be willing to cooperate with God as he tries to undo years of faulty thinking in our mind, ways of operating and perceiving and thinking about him and and ourselves and others. It's just wrong. It's just worldly. It's what the world tells us that has to be reprogrammed and transformed. And that takes time, and it's not quick. Which is why in Colossians, Paul says this. He says, I'm continually asking. So like all of his prayers, this isn't just a one and done deal, right? We talked about this last week when we looked at it in the prayer in Ephesians. He says, I keep asking that God would do this. And today we read and it says, I continually ask. There was this, this sense of just persistence in Paul's prayers for the people that he loved and cared about. He kept coming back and back and back. He understood that it was a battle, <laughs> that it's work. You see, when I'm praying for myself and when I'm praying for others and I don't see change quickly, I just move on. I lose heart. I get disinterested. I don't stick with it. I don't know if you're like me in that. But I feel like as I'm reading this is is that God is calling us to more faithful expressions of love through prayer. One that is patient and long-suffering and diligent. Those of you that have prayed for something or someone for a long time, what have you noticed that it's done in you as you've been faithful for a while? Yeah, Gary. Okay. Yeah, you become more sympathetic to their situation maybe as you, as you really spend some time kind of dwelling, trying to put yourself in their shoes, what emotions they might be feeling, why this is so difficult for them. Um, your empathy and, and compassion grows. That's good. Yeah. I pray for somebody else. It's not only for God's help, but for me to surrender and to see my part in it 
Okay. Yeah. What he's saying is that sometimes when I'm praying for somebody else, God might be saying, hey, I've got something for you. I need you to do something in this situation. And so over time, it maybe allows God to kind of speak to you about, hey, if this person's going to get over the hump in this area, it might require something of you. And so you listen to what God might have for you. That's great. What else? Yeah. Okay. Why? Okay. 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 Good. She just feels at ease. I think sometimes I feel at ease because I understand that it's it's that God's doing it and not me. <laughs> I don't feel the pressure, right, to try to change their circumstances or save them in their situation. I just say, you know what, God, I, I can't do anything here, but I'm going to come to you because I know that you can. You're powerful enough, okay? And so that's what we've, we, one of the things that I mentioned in week one here about three weeks ago was that one of the things that we want to get out of this series is not just, you know, figuring out what the right words are to pray, but that in the process of being faithful to pray, that God does something in us. He changes us in the midst of it. And we looked last week, if you remember, we looked at a quote uh, by C.S. Lewis. I kind of started with it. That he, he talked about, he's talking with his pastor friend, and he says, you know, I pray because I can't help myself. It's the first thing, you know, on my mind when I wake up, the last thing I think about at night. And it says, he said, it doesn't change God, it changes me. And that's a part of the prayer process sometimes that I think we forget. And what does Paul specifically want them to understand? We get, we get a glimpse of this in a few later verses. If you can skip down to uh, verse 26 in chapter 1. He says, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right? He says, I want people to understand this mystery, that Christ is in you. This Christ we're talking about is not just some historical figure who did some amazing stuff. He's actually in you. And there's implications for that understanding. Okay? Skip down to chapter 2, verse 2. He says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All right? He says, I want them to know the greatness of Christ and be captured by that. I want them to know Christ better. You hear a lot of people talk about, you know, what's God's will for me? Especially young people come to me, it's like, I want to know what God's will is, I want, you know, what college I should go to, and what my major should be, and who I should marry, and I want, don't want to be outside of God's will. And, you know, God's will is that we know him. It doesn't really matter where we live, what job we have, where we go to college, and even necessarily who we marry. If we know him, we're going to be doing all right in all those areas of our life. To know him, that's God's will for you, right? When we hear live a life worthy, we think it's what we're doing for God. When in the reality, it's what Christ 
is doing in us, okay? It's not about our efforts at all. So there should be a sigh of relief there. Because it's not primarily about our performance. It's about realizing what's true about us. What's true. The Spirit's job in us is to lead us to the truth. So if we allow the Spirit to do that, if we cooperate with the Spirit, then we will be living a worthy life. Because if we're led to the truth and we believe the truth and begin living the truth, our life will be worthy, will be like Christ. Paul goes on in verses 10 through 14 to describe what a worthy life looks like. Okay, the second half of that, verse 10 says this, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So worthy life, Paul says, looks like this. It says, first of all, it's bearing fruit. And what does that mean? It means that our, our life is producing something. First and foremost, it's producing changed character in us, the fruits of the Spirit. You can read about in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, those kinds of things. So it's producing character change in us. It's producing change in the people that we, we impact because they're around us. They see Christ in us. And it's infecting, infecting, maybe, possibly, influencing, certainly. It's producing fruit in their life. Uh, we can produce fruit in the ministries that we're part of. Good things happen. People's lives are changed. Situations become better. Okay? So that's one thing he says is, is, is that it produces fruit. Now, does a tree have to squeeze the fruit out of its branches? I don't think so. Okay? Never talked to a tree personally. Hey, this is beside the point, but it's funny. I was in Boston at this conference, and every, I went running a few mornings, and, and I was right in um, the park where, the, like, the Boston Commons is, like, where the Boston Massacre and all that stuff was, and there's this guy, this oriental guy, every morning would go out, and he would do, I guess, it was some kind of Buddhism or something, but there was a tree, and he would put his hands around the tree, but not touch the tree, but just get really close to the tree and just he would stay there for a long time not touching the tree so i don't know what he was getting from the tree but it was interesting nonetheless i'm like okay i'm not sure how that's going to help your life but whatever right so a tree does not have to squeeze to get the fruit out right it just happens as a result of a tree being healthy Okay, if you have healthy root system, I know nothing about trees, so I'm making all this up. <laughs> if you have a healthy root system, and I would think that, you know, there's good weather, because I hear about, you know, like in Florida, sometimes it freezes and the, and, the, and the fruit doesn't turn out well, so I think weather's a part of that, and probably that you have an attentive farmer who's caring for that tree, pruning it when it needs to be pruned, okay? But the tree doesn't have to try to produce good fruit. The same thing in our life. Living a worthy life for us is less about what we do, but it's more about the gardener than it is us, right? All we do is we make ourselves available for the work. 
We stay connected to the vine, to the root system that gives us life, and then God produces fruit in us. It's not something that we try to squeeze out by doing the right things. Bearing good fruit, okay? So that's how we live a worthy life. That's the first thing. And the second thing, Paul continues, he says, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, the Greek word that he used here for knowledge is not information. The word that he chose to use here describes a relationship. Growing in your relationship with God. The growing in our depth of intimacy with him. So a person living a worthy life wants more of Christ, right? I've been following Jesus for almost 30 years, and and this is what I know to be true, is that I know him better than I used to, but I want to know him more. I still realize that there's so much I still don't know. And so somebody who's living a worthy life has this hunger and a thirst to know him. It, It just consumes them. They want that so badly. Verse 11, a person living a worthy life is being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? So that you may have great endurance and patience. Why do we need great endurance and patience? Why is Paul praying this for the Colossians? As followers of Christ, why do we need great endurance and patience? Yeah. Life is very hard. Good. That's the best answer. I'm stopping there. Okay? We need a lot of patience and endurance because this, folks. <laughs> right? Jesus said, in this world, there will be trouble. Right? And I know that if we're trying to follow a Savior like Jesus, whose life and his teaching was all about self-sacrifice, about humility, about loving our enemies, about just a reckless love that forgives when most people wouldn't, that is going to be a struggle. Okay, so it's a struggle on one hand just because the teaching is so challenging and Jesus' life is so challenging to us. It's a struggle on the other hand because, because the enemy is so powerful. And the enemy is, is trying to beat us up and he's trying to kill us and destroy us and lie to us and all those things and we're locked in this battle in life and it's hard. So if our version of following Jesus doesn't involve needing more endurance and patience, then we're probably not even in the game. Because if you're really following him, you're gonna need those things desperately. We need endurance and patience to live a worthy life Because how we respond when the suffering comes, because it's going to, and how we respond in those moments tells the watching world what it is that we truly believe. Just like Wesley on the boat, right? When you looked at those Moravians in the midst of the storm, what were they doing? They were chill. (laughs) They were praying. They were worshiping God. They're like, yeah, if we die... We're going to heaven to be with him. What are we worried about? Right? Then Wesley's like, man, I'm all anxious and freaking out. And, right? What's different? And I know that a lot of you guys have experienced that reality. In the midst of various tragedies in your life, and that could be all over the spectrum, divorce, sickness, losing a loved one unexpectedly, having a miscarriage, whatever it might be, in those moments when it's, it's all been really painful and rough, <laughs> you somehow were able to keep it all together. 
And you honestly don't know how, besides for the fact that in the midst of that, you went to God and you allowed him to give you some endurance and patience to get through it. And in doing that, you saw God show up in that moment in ways that you can't really describe or explain. And in that time, you knew, you knew, you knew that God was real. And finally, living a worthy life is exemplified in, look at verse 12, giving joyful thanks to the Father. So a worthy life is a grateful life. Grateful for what? Why are we giving thanks? Look at the stuff that God does for us that he lists in verses 12 through 14. He says, he qualifies us. He rescued us from the darkness. He brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. The God is doing it all. He's making us worthy. Okay? Our job is to be participants in it, though. Okay? So how do we participate? This is the last, last part here. First of all, we pray, right? As Paul said, we continually ask God. What did he say today? We continually ask him to give us wisdom and understanding through the Spirit. Give us wisdom. You know, when Jesus prayed and Paul prayed, if you go back and looked at all their prayers, what they prayed more than anything was they asked God for more God. They said, God, we want more of you. They didn't pray a lot about their circumstances and God, would you do this and change that, make things easier? They prayed for him. They wanted more of his love, his patience, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his power, all those things so that when life was troubling like it's going to be, that they would respond like Christ would respond. And in doing that, we're living a worthy life. Secondly, we immerse ourselves deeply in the life of Christ. We make room for him, right? We, we, we give space for him in our life. We don't fill our life so full of everything, distractions, busyness, that we, he has no room to speak, right? We, we spend time in his word because it's life-giving and it's powerful. And finally, we participate by believing that we are the new creations that God says we are. We live a worthy life by believing we are who God says we are. And so when Satan comes to us and he lies to us, we call him a liar. When he tries to tell us that we're not good enough, that we're not worthy, that there's too much stuff in our past that we can never be forgiven for, we call him out. We say, man, that is not true. (laughs) God says that I'm a new creation, that old things have passed away, new things have come, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that I am no longer a slave to sin. God's desire, as Paul prayed for the Colossians, is that we might know his will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. You want to live a worthy life of the Lord? Just continually ask, God, help me to believe what you already say is true about me, that I am worthy, not because of what I've done, but because of who you are and what you've done. You've made me worthy. Help me to believe it. Help me to live like it. Joyfully give thanks for all that he's already done for you. And if you do those things, God will make spiritual fruit appear in your life. He'll lead you to wisdom. He'll give you power and endurance and patience and all those things that you need in life. Again, as we go through this, guys, what I'm challenging you to do each and every week is just to pray the word for someone. First of all, pray it for yourself. So this week as we, as we look and we pray through scripture, again, God, lead me towards wisdom and understanding so that I get 
who you are, who you say that I am, so that it could transfer then to my heart and I can begin living like that's true. In James chapter 1, verse 5, you can look it up this week. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, they should ask God who will give it to anyone without finding fault. He's happy to give it to you. Okay? So pray that for somebody. Pray that for somebody else in your life that needs that understanding. That, that's trying to live a worthy life, but they're trying to do it all in their own strength. And you know who those people are. Man, they're always burdened. <laughs> they're always feeling pressure. They're always feeling like they're not good enough. I don't know about you guys, if you guys followed through on this from last week, but I prayed for two people every day this past week that they would know Christ more. And as difficult as their circumstances were, I didn't pray that God would change their circumstances. I just prayed that in the midst of their circumstances, they would know Christ. And I don't know if they have yet or not, but it's been a good practice for me. It's reminded me that I need to know Christ more. And that's part of the beauty of praying scripture for others is that it reminds us of what's true and what we need as well. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you just for these lessons in prayer today and the perspective that you ask us to have as we come before you. God, and I I pray that we would learn because I know that I just get caught up and and I just want to pray for... I just want to pray for my circumstances to get better. I want to pray for an alleviation of pain and suffering, not only for myself, but for others. And sometimes we pray for these things, and like Scripture is saying the exact opposite. Scripture is saying that this world will be full of trouble, that people will be in pain, there will be suffering here because this isn't heaven. So quit praying that there won't be any suffering and pray that we will know you more in the midst of it in the midst of it, that we would reflect you and your character, that we would have peace and endurance and patience and all those things that we need to, to reflect you through it. And God, sometimes the suffering is really just stuff that we bring on ourselves. If we had a different perspective, if we had more wisdom, if we had more understanding of who you are, we might not be suffering as much as we are. We might have a different perspective on ourselves and, and on our circumstances and on other people. So God, lead us to the truth. Lead us to the truth, God. And the truth is found in your word. There's no shortcut to becoming more wise than God just praying and soaking ourselves in that truth day in and day out, continually asking continually seeking. God, give us the endurance to keep praying and praying and praying. God, not because of what it might do on the outside, but what it does in us. Reminds us how much we need you. Reminds us of how powerful you are. Reminds us of how worthy you are of our praise and our devotion and our time. Father, we love you. We thank you that you're a God that we can count on and depend on who's faithful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray as we close and sing. I did that two weeks in a row now. Let's stand and sing as we close. That's what I want to say. 